between the conscious and the subconscious. That's the critical factor of the mind, which is also known as the inner critic. Now, that critical factor creates that barrier. So that's why when you start telling yourself, no, I am enough, I am enough, that critical factor goes, no, you're not. We have all this history from our youth or we know you're not enough. And so that it acts like a little guard dog and just repels anything you try to say to it. But what happens in hypnosis is that critical factor basically goes to sleep and you can start dropping in suggestions that land into that subconscious part of the mind. This is your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 365 with guest Amy Smith. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the show. I am so glad that you are here. I hope this finds you well amidst, well, I guess just amidst 2020 as we start to wind down the year. And I have a special guest for you today. Amy Smith is on the show. For those of you that might be new to me or new to the podcast, Amy's been on several times and she is my very best friend in the whole world. We go back about 11 years or so and I'm excited to bring her on because she's talking about hypnotherapy, which is something that I really know nothing about. (laughs) And she's been talking to me about it over the last couple of years as she's been in her training and it is truly fascinating. So I'm pumped to have her come on and tell you about these particular modalities that could be of help to you. Also, we are still accepting applications for new private clients. If you are somebody who is struggling to set boundaries in your life, or if you really resonated with both of my books and want to figure out how to implement and incorporate those ideas and tools and advice that I give in those books, come on over and fill out an application. I also do much deeper work that's around shame resilience so that you can live your life from a place of your values and feel proud of how you're showing up every day instead of doing those things like perfectionism or people-pleasing or numbing out and not reaching out to people when you when you need help and things like that. So head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash coaching and fill out an application. You can either work with me privately or you can work with my lead coach, Liz Applegate. Either way, we'll figure out what is the best uh, package for you, who is the best fit, and you'll be well on your way to kick off 2020 with intention and purpose. All right. I also want to give you a fair warning that Well, really, whenever Amy is on the show, it's kind of a toss-up as what's going to happen. So we start out in true Amy and Andrea form, and we are having a quick conversation about tampons. So for those of you that might be offended by things like that, you might want to skip through. Although it would be kind of weird if you were offended. I mean, hey, no judgment. (laughs) It's not extraordinarily graphic, but... Just fair warning there. And that goes on for, I don't know, five or seven minutes or so. I think it's a little funny. But anyway, for those of you who don't know Amy, let me tell you a little bit about her. 
Amy E. Smith is a certified and credentialed life coach and hypnotherapist, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Owner and founder of Joy Junkie Enterprises, Amy uses her role as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals beyond limiting beliefs and sabotaging mindsets to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-worth. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, Amy uses her popular weekly podcast, The Joy Junkie Show, to address issues of worthy self-confidence, and letting go of people-pleasing to assist listeners in creating and living radically joyful lives. Amy has been instrumental in aiding hundreds of women in stepping into their authentic power and crafting lives they desire. She is a highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and has been featured expert in Inspired Coach Magazine and on Fox 5 San Diego. So without further ado, here is Amy Smith. Amy E. Smith, welcome back to the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Yay. I do you remember when somebody I it was just, this might have been a couple of years ago I asked on Instagram, you know, what do you want to see on the show? What kind of topics? What kind of guests? And someone said, anything you do with Amy Smith. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. And then and then we started our own podcast. Which was met with critical acclaim and then dramatically <laughs> dramatically failed. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it failed, no, it didn't but fail. it didn't take off <laughs> and become what we thought it was going to, what we were trying to manifest. That's right. Which I lately, yesterday as I was trimming my nose hairs, and then last <laughs> night as I got a tampon stuck and my husband had to fish it out, I was thinking, oh my God, there's so, I have so much material that would have been so great for our podcast That's together. <laughs> because the people who might be new to the show are like, wait, what just happened? All right. For those of you that don't know, <laughs> I'm not always the expert that you hear on this show. <laughs> I have a different side, which was that podcast. It was a, a little bit of a departure from our usual, because your podcast, The Joy Junkie Show, that you co-host with Mr. Smith, which I think everyone should listen to if they don't already. You talk about personal development stuff and I have guest experts on. Um, sometimes I do solo shows where we're talking about how to live a better life. And that show that we did, Not Another Self-Help po- Self Podcast, some people listened to it and they loved it. Some people did not love it. <laughs> I, think, I really think it was like one or two people who didn't like it. And yeah. And it, it, it's because we talked about a lot of stuff that you contend with that you just don't talk about with other people, you know? Well, Especially, these people might talk about that with like their best girlfriends. Right. Or their really close partners. But if, and if you don't think farts are funny, or if you <laughs> don't think trimming nose hairs is a worthwhile conversation, or menopause, or oh, middle yeah, age shit. Funny middle-aged injuries, then don't go listen to it. But yeah. if you want a good laugh, I still listen to some of the episodes for fun because they're so funny. Right. Or like if I'm on vacation and you miss me, you just listen to that. <laughs> I do. I just listen to all the stories over there. But I do. <laughs> if somebody really wants to just get to the hip, hypnotherapy stuff, then you can skip all this. But I need to hear about this tampon getting stuck again. Because this is the second time this has happened to you. Yes. And, and you said... That's pretty good for like two times and how many years have you been menstruating? Well, no, two times. I was saying two times 
in 23 years that I've been with Mr. Smith that I've asked him to please remove it for me because my okay. fingers this are has too- never happened to me. <laughs> it, it's, my fingers are too short. I, as we've talked about, I think I might have a long vaginal canal. <laughs> Maybe you just shouldn't put your tampon in so far that it's about to come out of your mouth. Like well, that's, <laughs> that's why, so that I can, I can poo and it doesn't come shooting out. <laughs> I feel like I totally have just lowered the bar for your show right now. <laughs> okay. That that's how we got on the conversation in the first place about where to position your tampon on that particular episode. So Darlene will drop that particular episode in there if anyone is like, what? Because yeah. what I found out through my research, because then I thought I was putting in my tampon wrong all these years, the consensus was in my diligent Google research was that it is a personal preference how far up you put your tampon. Yes. Because for you- I'm a cervix Sometimes buster. only like, you're a cervix buster, like a <laughs> cervix kisser. <laughs> only like an inch of string is showing. And mine, it's like the whole string. Yeah. To me, that's very, that's a lot of trust that you're having. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that, that might be the most risky thing I would ever have done. <laughs> that's what, I'm a big, I, I am a high risk taker. So you got another tampon stuck last I night. I did. You had and to ask for assistance from your husband. Well, okay. So I'm digging around trying to get it myself, and I'm realizing that it's it, it was like a stru- it was like have you ever seen those things on like Animal Planet where they're like trying to test a monkey if it can like get out of the cage or something, and it's like barely close to getting it out. It was kind of like that. Um, could you feel it? They're at struggling, all? struggling. Yeah, I, I could feel it. Um, but it was completely elusive. And so I was like, babe, <laughs> I have a request. So it was, it was quite the debacle. And then I was just embarrassed. I was just so embarrassed. I couldn't stop laughing. And he was like, be quiet. Okay. Pu- you have to put your legs apart a little bit more. Cause I was like, <laughs> did you have a flashlight? No, no. He, he, he totally was like, cause he does this when he does body work when he's working on people because he's a massage therapist. He, he does not dig tampons out of people no, when no, he's doing body work. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I said that wrong. He, what he does is he closes his eyes and he feels the musculature, you know? So he okay. feels the body that he's working on. So a lot of times he will just have his eyes closed when he's working on someone. So that's kind of what he did with me. So he's got his finger in trying to get it. And he's just, he's over kind of got his head positioned to the side, eyes closed, like just really trying to feel it. And then, and, and then he finally got it. And I thought he was going to pull it out, like with a big show, like a, like Simba being held up, like, yeah, and, <laughs> like, I'll triumphant. Yeah. Victory is mine. Yeah. I totally thought it was going to be a victory situation and he just left it. So it was like, like a little turtle head, like po- poking out. <laughs> and, and he was like, well, it's coming out now. And I was like, Oh, 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 okay. So I, uh, yeah. So I grabbed it, disposed of it and laughed my ass off while I was in the shower. Oh my God. Well, if his, his body work doesn't work out, which I know it is working out for him, he could, he could have a job as an obstetrician. (laughs) Or, I mean, there is a total form of massage, pelvic floor massage, Yanni. I think it's called Yoni or Yanni massage. I've looked into that. I, we talked about this actually on the other podcast because of my overactive bladder. That's right. How is Another that going? Time. How is that going? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just 
turn this into a not another pod. Um, it's I think I feel like it's a little bit better to be honest. Oh, good. But, yeah, but is I I have to be careful when I'm on my Peloton. When we go out of the saddle, it feels. I, I need to take it easy. Mm. Like, it's not my 25 year old pelvic floor anymore. I have to remember. But yeah. anyway, enough about bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about our inner body. <laughs> you nice recently, you recently, well, actually it's been, it's been a while. You've been working on this new training yep. um, in hypnotherapy. And for the longest time, I, when I heard the word hypnotherapy, I thought it had to do with giving birth because there's uh-huh. a form of hypnotherapy that that helps women in labor, correct? Right. It's called hypnobirthing. Okay. Yeah. So it's not the same thing. So will you tell us like from a layperson's perspective, yeah. what is hypnotherapy? Yeah. Well, I've heard, I've heard it described in a ton of different ways. The, the perspective of the school that I was trained under talks about any hypnotic modality is something that helps you change your belief structure. So even things like religion could be considered a hypnotic modality, coaching, NLP, EFT, anything that helps you change a belief structure can be hypnotherapy. But as far as what is actually happening, very, very simply stated, it's a slowing down of your brain waves. So if you're thinking about in our awake state, our brain waves are going at a certain frequency. So those are alpha, beta, and gamma waves. And that's in our waking state. There are different degrees, like alpha is a little bit more meditative. But that's our consciousness as we're kind of walking around. Then you go through a brainwave state where they start to slow down a little bit, and that's called theta. And that is right before you fall asleep. And then when you are asleep, your brain waves have slowed down to a delta wave. So the hypnosis is happening when your brainwaves are in a theta brainwave state. And that happens for all of us twice a day, very naturally, whenever we are awaking. So it's kind of like that groggy place when you're not totally awake. We've all had that experience. Or where you're starting to fall asleep and you're not totally asleep, but maybe you heard something else happening in the room or the TV's still on or you're still aware that's essentially the place that we put you into during hypnosis. So a, a very similar understanding of that that I think many people can relate to is if you've ever been driving along to go to your destination and you get to whatever place you're going to, but then as you've arrived, you go, holy shit, I don't remember anything about my drive. Like, mm-hmm. how did I get here? Well, you're, you were in more of a theta brainwave state. It, which is, it's not totally safe, by the way. And your conscious mind had taken over and was was giving you the ability to, to continue. But you kind of have disappeared into that place. But for that same reason, I think it's one of the things that helps people understand that it's not that scary. It's not that different than simply meditation with a goal. You know, it, there's a very specific thing that you're working on remedying. But I think what's really incredible specifically about that state of where your brain waves are is it essentially puts the inner critic to sleep, which mm-hmm. is so incredible. So the stuff that we normally are thinking about, 
throughout the day, consciously, our inner critic is always chiming in, talking to us. Obviously, you talk about this a lot. But in that theta wave, when you're in hypnosis, it's like it, it, it kind of disappears a little bit and you're able to embed messages into the subconscious much easier. So I'm going to stop there because I've said a lot. Is it that the same thing, the theta waves happening when we are doing things like when we're in the shower or when we're washing dishes and, or for some people it's meditating where things slow down and then, and then all of a sudden we get a great idea or we remember something that we had forgotten before? Yeah, absolutely. Most of that is we've, we store stuff in the subconscious mind and it's not always, I mean, if you think about the breakdown of words, it's below consciousness. So it's not always accessible to us in in our conscious state. So sometimes through various exercises and hypnosis, you can, you can extract that stuff. So if you've, if there's something that you really want to remember, you can do that. It can be dangerous though, because of how we can fabricate memories that aren't, mm-hmm. aren't necessarily true. So there's a lot of, uh, there's differing opinions in, in the hypnosis community about, about memory stimulation, about previous bringing up stuff from your past. And that's the, that's the only place where it gets crazy, but sure. Like downloads and inspirations and things like that have everything to do with how this conscious and the subconscious work. I read about that. Like when I was when I was doing my extensive research for this podcast episode, questions I was going to ask you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm being facetious. But one of the things that popped up in my Google search was, it was something to that extent of can hypno, hyp, hypnosis or hypnotherapy be bad or dangerous? And that's the only thing that I, that I read about was the, exactly what you said, that there's some controversy in the industry about um, because I guess that happened when was that? Like in the eighties or something? That was like it was happening a lot. Yeah, uh, they would use it a lot for in like criminal cases. So to have people like remember traumas that had gone gone on for them or things that maybe they they saw that they couldn't remember that they saw, and it has has since been considered from what i understand at least in california it could be different in other states but i i think if somebody has gone under hypnosis to remember something or something like that it's considered something that will be dismissed and not credible so okay. it yeah. can be it, it can be sticky it's it's also similar to the same thing that that we observe in coaching where there's a fine line between what's within scope and what is not within scope. And if it's something that is related to a severe trauma, there are some places that you can touch on that and work through some things. But you do also have to recognize that like age regression, for example, having somebody go back to a specific age where they had a trauma and like relive it is a huge, huge no, no, that can cause a yeah. lot of damage. However, you can do things like uh, there's a modality called timeline therapy that's really fascinating, where you basically hover above the timeline of your life and you observe different things that transpired from almost like a voyeuristic standpoint. You, I think of it a lot like in a Christmas Carol, 
when Scrooge mm-hmm. goes back and looks at the various different places of his life and he can kind of observe what that version of him needed and you know what was actually happening. So you can do things like that, but actually going back and being that age can be really, really detrimental. Yeah, that sounds a little dicey. Talk to me about, talk to us about when you were, you were mentioning quieting the inner critic, because I know a large part of what you do is helping women feel like they're enough and getting past and just a lot of self-worth stuff. Because what we hear a lot is women will say, I know logically and practically that, you know, I'm, I'm a good person and I know that I'm, I'm worthy of course, but I don't believe it in my body. Or when yes. I get triggered, I immediately go down into that place of, of feeling like not enough. Why can't, why can't, why can't I fix this? Why can't I overcome this? Yeah. So this has everything to do with how the subconscious and the conscious mind work. So if you think about the mind in its entirety, the there I've heard differing percentages. The school that I went to said 12% of the mind is the subconscious part of, or I'm sorry, the conscious part of the mind. And mm-hmm. 88% is the subconscious. Now I've heard also varying degrees, so much as like 5% is our conscious and 95% is subconscious. But what that means, how that is created is in that subconscious part of the mind that houses our fight and flight response, right? Which we now know there are iterations like freeze and fawn and and Uh et cetera. But we're only born with two primary fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That's it. Everything else is a learned behavior. So if you have a fear of dogs, if you have a fear of what other people think about you, if you have a fear of failure, all of those things are crafted in the subconscious mind in an early age, usually around up until the, about the age of eight, and then, and then continues. But those are when we're highly suggestible because there is no critical factor of the mind until you get later on in childhood. So basically what happens is you experience life and your mind either makes a positive association with something or a negative association with something, but it becomes a known, right? So the mind registers, it's either a known thing or it's an unknown thing. So let's say, for example, you learned at a very early age that dogs are dangerous and you got bit by one. And so now in that subconscious part of your brain, you associate dogs with fear, you know, uh, they're dangerous, they're scary. So then you grow up, whatever, you, you become an adult, and you consciously know in that small conscious part of the mind, let's say 12%, that, that it's not going to hurt you, that that little dog is not going to hurt you, even that big dog is not going to hurt you, consciously know that. You have proof of it, there's a handler there, like you know that. But if we're talking about the, that percentage, it doesn't matter how much that little 12% knows because 88% is saying abort mission, be scared, oh my God. So when yeah. we have those two things happening where we consciously know something and subconsciously there's something that is fighting against it, that's called cognitive dissonance. That's when there is a mismatch to what we believe to be true and what we consciously know. So understanding that in the in the conscious part of the mind, that's where we have logic, reason, rationale, willpower. 
That's also why just like, I won't be afraid of that dog. I won't be afraid of that dog. It's not going to work, right? Even probably like seeing or reading scientific evidence. Right. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because there's no way that that can trump that 88% that says, no, this is super dangerous. But in that subconscious, that's where we have our belief systems, our values, our habits, and all of our fight flight responses. So that means that no matter how much you know it's a good idea to believe that you are enough, or you know that you should believe you're deserving of love, you get it, what everyone's saying on these podcasts. If you don't rectify what became that subconscious driver, it's not going to change. Now, right in between those two things, between the conscious and the subconscious, that's the critical factor of the mind, which is also known as the inner critic. Mm -hmm. Now, that critical factor creates that barrier. So that's why when you start telling yourself, no, I am enough. I am enough. That critical factor goes, fuck, no, you're not. We have Mm -hmm. all this history from our youth or we know you're not enough. And so that it acts like a little guard dog and just repels anything you try to say to it. That's why whenever we try to create change like that, that critical factor goes, no, no, no. We don't know how to be empowered. We don't know how to speak up for ourselves. We don't know how to believe we're enough. That's unsafe. It registers as unsafe. We don't know it. It's it's not okay. But what happens in hypnosis is that critical factor basically goes to sleep and you can start dropping in suggestions that land into that subconscious part of the mind. Now, that's not the only way to break through the, the, that critical factor of the mind. Another major way is through repetition. So mm-hmm. that's why we tell people you have to talk to yourself in this specific way. Yeah. But because we want such immediate results, <laughs> usually what happens is we go, ah, this doesn't work. And we stop yeah, with the, give up. the statements. But if you keep doing that, if you have that repetition over and over and over and over again, finally that inner critic will go, oh, I guess she's serious. And it will allow you to drop it into the subconscious mind as a new belief. But we usually give up way too early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how does EFT tapping fit into all of this? Because I first heard about this in the 90s and I thought it was weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I've I've learned a little bit more about it and have done it myself and found it to be helpful and some of my clients do it. So how does can you just kind of give people a quick 101 on what what it is and then how it has to do with everything that you just talked about? Yeah, so it would also be considered another hypnotic modality. And it is short for emotional freedom technique. And it basically has to do, it's based on the idea that all physical pain is a manifestation of some sort of emotional issue that has not been resolved or rectified. So it has a lot to do with the energy meridians in the body. And the idea is that we, throughout our life, throughout how we engage with people, through all of our stimuli, parts of uh, our freedom essentially get stuck in those meridians. And so by tapping them with intentionality, with repetition, by delivering a different message, 
it starts to shift and allow the energy to flow freely, which then will help with a lot of emotional issues, a lot of physical issues, things like that. So it's, but it's done consciously. It's not done in a hypnotic sleep. I mean, I guess you could, but, uh, the power of it is, is in, in a conscious state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll pop a video, a YouTube video in there for anybody who's interested uh, in learning more about that. Okay, I am also interested. I have never even asked you this. So I'm genuinely curious, not just like, let's hear you talk about this again. <laughs> I am super curious about handwriting analysis because really, you, yeah, because what does that have to do with? Like, do, how do you use that in your work if you have it all? And what does that have to do with, with the subconscious? Okay. So this is, this is great. Cause you gave me so much shit about it. <laughs> I, I know because it's, it seems weird. And I've, I've heard, I, I think I gave you shit about it because I've heard some pretty, like just massive generalizations. Like if you, like if, and I'm, I, this may not be correct, but it was something like if the first letter of your last name or your first name is, is twice as big as the rest of the, your name, then you're a narcissist or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, and I think I'd make my A kind of big, but (laughs) it's not that big. (laughs) Yeah. There, there's definitely a lot of stuff that's like that, but that's one piece in a litany of other information that you can get from a handwriting sample. So to answer your question, the way that handwriting, the basis of handwriting analysis and why it's a measure of what's happening in somebody's subconscious is based off of the idiomotor response. So have you ever seen where somebody holds like a pendulum or like a necklace and they'll say, okay, like, hold it over a pregnant person's belly mm-hmm. and they'll say, you know, show me which a girl or show me a boy. And then is it a girl or a boy? You know, things like that. Yeah. They sell those at the witch store that I like going to in Greensboro. Yes. Okay. So that is a method of how we manifest physically. It's an involuntary physical response to what's happening in our subconscious mind. So it's actually- so Is that similar to muscle testing? Yes. Yes, okay. exactly okay. applied kinesiology, muscle testing. It's that there's something that's happening subconsciously that's manifesting physically, but it's totally involuntary. And I see it all the time in hypnosis. We do something called an idiomotor response where we have somebody, like if you can see that picture in your mind or if you can feel that sensation, slightly move your finger. And you can tell because it's more of a, like a slight jerky motion and it's not like a bring, you know, Mm -hmm. like a very conscious movement of the hand. So that's exactly what happens as we write, especially if we're writing something of merit to us or something of meaning to us. You can also kind of see this. Have you ever done this where you start off writing like a journal assignment or something and you start off at the top of the page being like all poised and kind of writing Mm -hmm. well? And then by the time you get down kind of three-fourths or to the bottom is like scribbly and that's when I start skipping lines because it's just my handwriting gets like a little a little wonky and that would be really curious for me to look at because usually you don't start accessing that subconscious part till about like three-fourths down the page so what I will ask people is for them to send me a full page 
of usually I give them like specific journal prompts and then I can look at the way in which they've written. Um, There are certain things like T's represent confidence and self-worth. So you can start telling if there's a lot of confidence issues, you know, the I, the capital I indicates how you feel about yourself. So you can start looking at that. So, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to do with how people write their name Mm -hmm. and uh, the sizing of the letters, the spacing in between O's that are open are usually indicative of somebody who has an open mouth and can't keep a secret. Um, But you can also start working on certain behaviors. So for example, if you, (laughs) if you have the end of like a Y or the end of a, of really any letter, like towards the end, that indicates if you follow through on things or not. So if I've noticed for me that I will sometimes just sharply end down instead of allowing Mm -hmm. it to go through. So I've been working on making sure that they go through because there's certain things that I want to complete that I want to follow through on. So you can start changing your behavior. So like a G or a J or a Y, you would look at how the tail is? Yes, how the tail is. And, but it has, there's so many things. Like one of the ones that I found really fascinating is everything kind of on the left represents self or past. Everything on the right represents future or others. So if I, I don't understand like left or right, how does that, how does that have to do with handwriting? So if I ask them, is this is the placement of the paragraph on the page? So if I ask somebody to write, okay. And they, they go like, they go all the way to the edges on both sides. I know they leave very little room for themselves, but they also leave very little room for other people. There's boundary issues hugely. If somebody, I always go into the margins on the right. So what does that mean? That means you don't (laughs) leave a lot of room for other people. Is that surprising? No, not at all. And so, but if you leave, <laughs> but if you leave more m- amount of room on the left hand side, that means you leave a decent amount of space for yourself. Okay. So yeah, it's it's really really interesting, and but that can play out in a lot of different ways. So uh, so, but it all has to do with your subconscious will manifest itself involuntarily in your in your physical body and in. in various ways. So interesting. That is fascinating. I'm glad you, I'm glad you explained it. And in my defense, all of my O's are closed. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) But I have a big mouth, but I do keep secrets. (laughs) Yes. They, you know, you will have uh, like various loops that are in things represent all sorts of different stuff. It's, it's really really fascinating to me. So we did a series where we looked at various handwriting samples and there were certain things that if it's highly erratic and if it's uh, highly, it's, it's called sinuous, it's up and down all over the place. It's, it's like a refer out. This is likely some sort of psychosis or something that's very much out of, good grief, out of you know, your realm, right? Mm -hmm. So we're observing this handwriting sample and it's all over the place. And we're like, oh my God, refer out. This is not, it's Charles Manson. Oh my gosh. So there was a lot of inconsistencies in the handwriting. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Like, or instead of, 
there's a lot that has to do with like, do you, do you write slightly upwards or do you write slightly downwards or do you write almost like it's in a wave? Uh, and if you write slightly downwards, that's usually an indication of depression, sadness, um, you know, not, not seeing the bright side. If it's up and down, kind of like a wave, it, it can be problematic. And it's also, there's a collection of things that have to exist for it to be really concerning. And his was definitely all of the things that represented instability. That's so fascinating. I noticed that I, I, I think our generation who really learned cursive. Yes. I, well, there are some letters that I write very different. I've, it's kind of like Spanglish with my handwriting. Like I have a combination of printing and cursive, which I think is probably a lot of people when we get to be this age. And I've noticed that some of my letters are different depending on if I'm in a hurry or not. Yes. And if I'm trying to write neatly for someone else, if it's just for me, it's going to be a little bit more messy. That's really interesting too. So if you, if somebody constantly prints, that's usually an indication of control, like really trying to control the situation. And what I've noticed is I will print only my notes for my podcast. Mm -hmm. The most of the other time I'll do, I do like what you do, like kind of a cursive print hybrid, but I'm much faster that way. And, but I notice that I'm like, oh, okay, well that makes a lot of sense because when I'm when I'm writing just a card to somebody or something like that, I'm not worried about controlling the narrative. When I'm writing my podcast notes, I want to control exactly the message that I'm getting across. You'll also see it in a lot of uh, professions that have to be controlled, uh, like law enforcement or Mm -hmm. medical profession, things like that. But there, there are things that are only indicative to cursive that you can tell about people, but uh, there still is plenty that you can tell from printing as well. But most people have have varying degrees of, of writing like that. And mm-hmm. that also represents the state that you're in at that moment. So if that I see sense. somebody who's, who has a lot of slanting down, like the, the all of the words are slanting down, I'm going to want to get another handwriting sample in like a week's time to make sure that we're not consistently depressed, that they were maybe Mm -hmm. just down at the time that they wrote that to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So if I had to describe your handwriting, I would say it's bubbly. Does that mean that you have a bubbly personality? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Mine is actually not as bubbly as you might think. Mine definitely has some roundness to it. Usually highly bubbly is, is more of a creative thing, like a real okay. creative spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we go, I want to ask you about dreams because you've been so helpful to me even before, but you know, as you've been trained in this modality about dream analysis. Yep. And I think one of the things I, if I can prompt you a little bit, the, the thing that has been so helpful to me is when I'm telling you about my dreams, that it's they're less literal, which sometimes really scares me when I dream about people I don't want to be dreaming about, and more so what they represent to my subconscious. So can you can you speak to that for a little bit? Yeah. So there's there's a lot of really cool things in dream analysis, but essentially what 
what's the most important thing to understand is the same way that you go to sleep with, let's say, a cut on your finger and you wake up and it's naturally so much better than when you went to sleep, our bodies will naturally heal as we sleep. And the same is true for our subconscious. So if there is a bunch of shit that you dealt with during the day that you didn't have the time to journal about or talk about with a therapist, your mind, your subconscious will try to heal that as you sleep. So we have various degrees of dreaming where we start almost by like a sifting process of like what matters to my dream and what matters in my life. Almost like when you go through your mail and you're like, keep, toss, keep, toss, keep, toss. Mm -hmm. So you do that at the very, very beginning. And then you get to a a dream state that is called your venting dream state. And this is usually about, about 90 minutes or 120 minutes prior to you waking up in the morning. And this is where your body is trying to process anything that you couldn't handle throughout the day. Now, if you have a lot of recurring dreams, it's usually indicative of something happening in your life that you haven't fully made peace with or you haven't rectified. One of the big elements around that is recognizing in your dream what age you were because there are a lot of context clues that will come up. So was there a person in your dream who represented a specific time period in your life? Mm-hmm. Were you or a house that you lived in at the time? Right. Those are typically context clues. And what that usually means is either you were a younger age or stuff is indicating a different age. It's that something happened at that time that you still need to rectify or make peace with or heal. But as far as the actual content of the dreams go, in order for it to be something that your subconscious is trying to heal, it does need to be somewhat of a story. So for example, if you have a dream where you are only falling, like you're just falling, that's usually representative of something that you ate, some kind of medication, something that you drank. It's more a physiological experience. It's usually not your subconscious if that makes sense. But if you're having a storyline that's happening, what you look for are the items that are literal, that are actually happening for you in your real world now. And then all of the elements that are are representative, you know, or a symbolic in some way. And then you look at How did I feel about these literal things and how did I feel about these symbolic things? So most of the time you can figure out based off of the emotion that you were feeling that there is something going on for you in that realm. So for example, last night I had had this really, really crazy dream that I had to put somebody in, it was like a hot dog making machine. It was, <laughs> it was a place I didn't know. And it was a dude I didn't know. And I had to, it was like, it was basically, what are those things, those wood chippers when you put somebody through? It was a wood, like a meat grinder. It was like a meat grinder, but it had all these different phases. It had all like with this part, he goes and gets his arms chopped off. And then this part, he goes here. And then, and then he'll eventually go through a meat grinder. 
I have so many questions. Did was the person alive that you yes. were supposed? To- oh my god! And somebody else was telling me that I had to do it, and I couldn't quite tell who they were. And he was really a. I'm glad it wasn't me because you've had dreams where I've been mean to you before. <laughs> I don't even remember. So it wasn't that long ago. I remember. Do you? And I wasn't even there, only in your subconscious. <laughs> but I'm still mad at you. So I, as I woke up and I was thinking about it, instead of going, who is this guy? Who was this other person telling me what to do? I went, okay, what were the sensations that I was feeling? Because all of that had to be symbolic. None of that's literal. So I went, yeah. okay, what were the emotions that I was feeling? Okay, I was feeling like somebody else was telling me what to do. I was feeling some sort of pressure. Uh, I was also feeling a shit ton of fear and anxiety. And, and then I kind of, as I'm waking up, I'm going, ah, God, this is the fucking election. I have felt so out of control and I have felt frustrated and fearful and where are we going? And, and it's out of my control. Cause this has been one of the things that I've been talking about with my husband where he's like, you know, we did all the things that we can do now you know, everything just has to unfold the way it's going to unfold. Um, and, but that's scary for somebody who wants to have control, right? Yeah. So dreams, just like pretty much anything else that gleans us clarity, just like reading, um, your horoscope or getting a tarot card reading or observing your dreams, you're the one who gets to, deduce what you deduce from your dreams. Like you're the one who gets to decide what was that meaning. And so for me, I was like, I think that's really what was, what was going on there. It's so interesting. And I I think what helped me too, is I can't remember if you told me this or if I read this in some research about how they've done brain scans and MRIs on people who are sleeping and in different dream states and the part of your brain of logic and reasoning gets shut off. Right. That's why our dreams don't make sense. That's why there's a freaking hot dog maker. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or like Abraham Lincoln is there and you're have, I had a dream that I was on a school bus smoking a cigarette with Laura Bush not that long ago. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> well, it was a couple of years ago. I th- a lot of my dreams and I think this is common seem to point back to anxiety yep. and feeling super vulnerable. Mhm. Because that's why where I have the reoccurring dream, which I also know is common, about being in school and not having studied for the test. So yep. feeling ill prepared about something. Yes, I have those. And wanting to wanting to put my best foot forward and realizing <laughs> that I'm not going to. I also have dreams, a reoccurring dream, some so embarrassing that I'm in high school trying out for the cheer. I've told you this. Yeah. Trying out for the cheerleading team, and it's and I'm 45 years old. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's feeling it's about feeling left out. Right. They don't belong. Right. And so I think sometimes we think if we have recurring dreams, we need to fix it, right? There's something wrong. We need to fix it. And that doesn't always have to be the case. It could be the same way we view emotions where emotions aren't just going to stop. They ebb and they flow and they're just there to give us a message. They're just there to teach us something. And so the same can be true for your dreams. Okay. What if that's just a little bit of insight around, oh, all right, I was feeling a little bit left out yesterday or or I have been really craving connection because we're in fucking quarantine and I would love to be around people. No wonder I dreamt about that. So instead of it being like, oh, I've got to fix, 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 sometimes it's like, hmm, what's just the message I needed to receive today or the healing I needed to experience last night? 
Mm-hmm. I've also had it explained to me, this might've been by my therapist or it might've been you saying that when we sleep, as you said, our bodies are trying to repair just like sore muscles. Yeah. And uh, many times our subconscious has not caught up with our conscious and understanding what the reality is right now in our world. Right. And so it's essentially trying to heal. And that's why sometimes we might dream about people from our past or people who have passed away or people we don't speak to anymore. It doesn't mean that we necessarily need to pick up the phone and call someone from our past. It's just our brain's way of trying to file it away. That's right. That's right. It doesn't know. The subconscious doesn't always have a strong grip on timeline (laughs) at all. We do the same thing. And that's with, with experiences that we have in our adult life where that's one of the reasons why I think this particular year has been so challenging for people is because this new trauma has kicked up old trauma that lives in ourselves, Uh that lives in our subconscious mind. But one of the things that you were talking about, about the absence of logic and reason when you sleep is exactly what I was talking about with the conscious versus the subconscious. Logic, reason, rationale, willpower is held in the conscious form of the mind. If you're not conscious if you're unconscious by sleeping, of course those things are gone. You know, those aren't, those don't have any bearing there. The only thing that I would say to people about dream analysis is be wary of something that is telling you butterflies always mean this, tigers always mean this, or Mm -hmm. X's always mean, that's not true at all. It's completely relative to the meaning that you extract from it. And the most important element is how you felt in the dream. It's usually about an emotional healing that needs to take place. Yeah. So it seems very nuanced and unique to each individual life. Exactly. Exactly. So how do you work with clients in this modality? How can people come and learn more about you and the, and the hypnotherapy? <laughs> That's funny because <laughs> I, I don't do that at all except for in my coaching practice, which is uh, so like on the outside, you wouldn't really know that I have all of these various levels of education because what I do is work in this enoughness, like you were talking about. And then how then do you communicate that with the world? Tough conversations, boundaries, communication, et cetera. So if you are interested in the work that I do, the best place to kind of get to know me is over on my website at thejoyjunkie.com. There's tons of freebies. I talk about it on my podcast, but I do have one specific signature program that I do. And I, I essentially infuse hypnotic elements and NLP and EFT into the coaching program that I do. So if you go to my site, you're not going to see, here's all about Just dreams. hypnotherapy with you. Yeah. Right. Here's yeah. hypnotherapy and here's that. It's, I do coaching and then I infuse these pieces into it. Well, we'll drop those links in the show notes, especially the show that you have. And, and I think everyone should go and listen to it because I think you're so smart. And everything I learned about boundaries and communication comes from Amy E. Smith. Oh, thanks. And best of luck with your future with tampons. (laughs) Thanks. I'm clearly going to need it. (laughs) And thank you so much for being here. It's always a joy and I, I need to have you on more often. And everyone, thank you for your time. You know how valuable I know that your time is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye everybody.
Thank <laughs> you.